Welcome back to the TV Doctor Who Flashcast for another season, season 10. I'm Jason Snell, as always, and I'm joined this time by first visitor on the Doctor Who Flashcast, but you may know her, it's possible, and if you if you don't, get to know her because she's one of the hosts of the brand new podcast on the Incomparable Network this week in time travel. It's Alyssa Frankie. Hello. Hello, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, um, and thanks for being on the uh, Incomparable Network with uh, the show that you do with Chip Sutterth. It's two episodes in so far. I think, you know, you picked a good time to launch a Doctor Who podcast, I think, as, as season 10 starts. You know, we skipped all those wilderness years and trying to figure out how to fill content then, and we just get straight to the good reviewing. So uh, I think we picked a pretty good time, but we're having a lot of fun there. You know, describing the Matt Smith era as the wilderness years is really mean. Oh, you oh, that's know not I what you mean. That. Oh, no, no. Now we, I'm going to have all the Matt Smith fans coming and attacking me. Kid. They're going to be waiting outside my door. Like, couldn't get me in trouble. We kid. We love Matt Smith. There's nothing. Wrong there. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so we we watched today as we record this the pilot, the cheekily named uh, episode, because now whenever people talk about uh, when we watch the pilot, we won't know whether we mean like a pilot episode of a TV show or the episode actually titled The Pilot. Uh, Stephen Moffat, stop it. <laughs> Gotta go for all the references he can, man. Yeah, this was called like st- this, like stars in her eyes or the star in her a eyes. A star in her eye. Uh, right, which, yeah. which, you know, I get it. I That makes sense now. But mm-hmm. they instead they called it the pilot, uh, you know, season ten, episode one, right. in which in which we meet in the first shot, Pearl Mackey as Bill, as she's led mm-hmm. by Nardole into what we discover is the Doctor's office at a university in Bristol, where he's apparently been a professor for an undetermined, rumored to be fifty or more years amount of time. Uh, what, uh, not, Stephen Moffat does this, right? Not, not, uh, not the b- beginning to a season I expected from this show. This, uh, no. this, this long shot of hearing Nardole's like mechanical body parts squeaking mm-hmm. as he opens the door and leads her in. Yep. And, and starting off in sort of an odd spot of it's not a kind of classic Doctor Who, uh, you know, there's villains happening or anything like that. Like it's a bantering conversation back and forth in his office about why is Bill Potts, who is not a student, going to his lectures right? Uh, and gets into like weird tangents back and forth of what Bill is doing at this university. Yeah. And it's... um. This is it's good scene setting, right? Because we're figuring out who Bill is and why the doctor has taken an interest interest in her. Perhaps that she's works at the university, but she's auditing. She's you know auditing his class basically. Which mm-hmm. I, I, the implication from this is that maybe that's uncool in a place like this. Like you're not supposed to be there unless you're a student. Um, where I went to college, that was a common practice for people to go to the lectures and not actually be taking the class. But um, yeah, I don't. The- the impression I got was that the doctor was mostly uh, intrigued by her that, yeah. uh, you know, she's has no obligation to be in his lectures. Um, and the thing that stuck out to him about uh, Bill in his lectures is that uh, when he said something confusing, uh, she reacted by smiling instead of frowning. It's such a and, great detail, right? It's such a yes. great detail. And it's, it, you know, when you think about it, it's one of those things you don't really like... register immediately why it's important but that's what you need in a doctor who companion someone who comes up against something unknown new frightening confusing and reacts with a bit of delight at this new thing they get to discover rather than you know fear confusion frowning shutting down about it so here's a question that i have for you which is what do you think about what the doctor's motive is in summoning Bill and taking her on as a student. Do you think his motive is ultimately that he's interviewing her as a, he's approached her as a possible companion? Or is this like, or is he fully in professor mode where what he's really doing is like trying to find a surrogate to a companion because he doesn't do that anymore? Which do you think it is? You know what? I don't know. Part of me wonders whether there's a another motive entirely. Um, well, I had a hard time hearing during the conversation in the tunnels. Um, uh, they, you know, it sounded like there was some back and forth of between uh, Nardole and the doctor about why he was doing this. Um, right. I think based off what we know in this episode, my guess would be loneliness. 
you know, Nardole is a companion of sorts, but I think the doctor's looking for uh, something a little bit more engaging. Right. Sometimes I think Nardole is the um, is like the butler for <laughs> the doctor a little bit. Right. He's he's yeah. a truly an assistant. Right. Not a companion as much as an assistant. He's a helper. He's very friendly. But, you know, he seems to be like bringing back the doctor's laundry and things like that. He's kind of the tin dog of season 10. Yeah. Oh, Nardo. I'm just, but, I don't understand well, his purpose in this episode, really. I, um, okay, so my take on Nardo in this episode is that he is, um, he is what passes for a companion when the doctor is parked at this university. He is somebody who is sort of like, um, it's he's part of the implication that there's a story we don't know about, which is what's in that vault that they have mm-hmm. a place where they go where there's this mystery vault that hopefully nobody you know is trying to get into that that they must keep hidden and that uh, he's part of like conspiring with the doctor there. So like they're they've got this other mission that they're doing that we're not privy to in this episode. Obviously that will come back. And so I mean I feel like that's that's what his purpose is to is to just imply that the doctor's got some other stuff going on. But I read an interview with Stephen Moffat. I think. It was in Doctor Who magazine where he said, um, you know, purposefully the season puts Nardole in the background at the beginning because it is really about Bill for the first few right. episodes, and he is he is way in the back. I mean, he's literally in the background for most of this episode, like doing stuff that you can't hear, but you can sort of see he's there. He goes by in the background. It's like all right, yeah, lurking there. He's present. I, yeah. I do think maybe the question I asked you, as I was asking you, I realized, I think maybe it's a distinction without a difference, which is, of course, if the Doctor isn't really intending to go, he's still like companion seeking i mean th- th- this seems to me like he is just always attracted to to companions he's always like how do i find a person oh th- uh, because obviously who knows what the number is one in a hundred one in a thousand one in a million that he runs into he's like you're you're potentially companion material he's obviously seen it in her but in this context he's not planning on leaving he's still but he could do do the next best thing right which is sort of like become her tutor and her mentor it's right. because even if they're not traveling he's going to do that for her yeah, I think that he's constantly looking for uh, that type of friendship. You know, there's there's part of me that watching this wondered whether he's like capable of having another type of friendship uh, with anybody. I mean, you've got those photos on the desk of uh, Susan and River, which oh. are really kind of exceptions to the all of his friends need to fall into like a companion mode because they technically in some ways are, but like one's his granddaughter and one's his wife and both of them sort of have independent adventures separate from him. And his relationship with both of them was very different. You know, he was on uneven ground with River for a lot of her relationship and really had more of a, uh, a paternal familial relationship with Susan. And now he's sort of falling into the mode again of needing to find someone who's uh, almost like his apprentice. Like I, I was really drawn back to um, uh, the Magician's Apprentice series nine of like the way he's working with Bill is sort of to me, it, it, I, I was struck by some of the parallels with Clara and not even the very obvious one at the end, but like he's building her up into a type of person that's going to be able to interact with these types of situations. You know, there's a lot of tutoring here that's not like explicit school paper kind of tutoring, but like, let's get you into a situation where you need to be able to see what's happening around you and deduce from these scorch marks what might be happening and how we're going to approach the situation and react to this danger. Yeah, and I think of all the new series companions, uh, in, in some ways, Bill seems the most like Clara. And follow me here, because I know that's a weird statement. But because Clara, if you take the the Impossible Girl plot out of out of it, like Clara is the the you you could be good at this. I'm going to be your teacher kind of character in a way mm-hmm. that Amy isn't because of the way he's intertwined with Amy and the fact that Amy is. You know, they're, they're, right? I feel like there's there's a complexity of their relationship, and that she 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 tries to take him, him to bed very early on, and all of those things, right? And Rose obviously stars in their eyes. Oh, lovey, lovey. Um, Martha, it's unrequited. And with Donna, I feel like it's much more like she puts it, right. She puts the Doctor in his place. So it's a it, it, the power dynamic is a little bit different in some ways, maybe even reversed. But Bill seems to be like like Clara. If you take the the Impossible Girl plot out of it, is like hey. You're really good. Um, I think you could be a great companion. Um, I'll show. I'll teach you. And, and yeah. 
It's, it's like a classic companion role, right? But I was thinking about it and thinking a lot of the new series companions don't follow that kind of role. And Bill seems like right in that. And I like that. I like I like that it's, and especially with Peter Capaldi and the fact that he's at this university, it's like even more so the, I think you have potential. Uh, I'm going to teach you. Yeah, I was very uh, interested also in the way that Bill's trying to reclaim control of the situation um, at the end of the episode, because she's obviously been through quite a Mm -hmm. bit you know she goes on this whirlwind trip across the universe all sorts of different times and places and the doctor is looking at this you know as a type of experience she shouldn't be having um and Mm. we get back into those donna and clara parallels here of he wants to erase her memory because this is something that he doesn't think she should be allowed to have. And she reclaims control over that situation in a very interesting way. Um, You know, Donna never gets that control. Her memory is erased. Um, Clara is sort of able to turn the tables on the doctor. Um, And even though there's a discussion about, uh, why she deserves to keep her memories. Um, it's very much, it comes down to chance and a bit of a trick. Um, and I think it, it feels like Bill's the first one who's able to really make this point to him and get it through his skull of how would you feel if this was done to you? And mm-hmm. of course, it has been very recently. He's lost his memories of Clara because of what Clara did. And he finally seems to recognize, oh, maybe this is a bad idea and I shouldn't be doing this to my friends. So I think it's kind of going to be interesting to see how uh, Bill works that dynamic in the future and whether she, you know, is able to break out of the student to teacher type of relationship and really make it one of equals. I like that in that scene where he said, where, where first off, she like knows that what he's going to do, right? She's like, you're going to try mm-hmm. to, you're going to try to erase my memories. You're going to mind wipe me. Like she gets it. Um, yep. She's trope aware. Yeah, she is. I mean, I, I think it's implied strongly that she like is a she she knows the science fiction stuff, right? Because mm-hmm. at one point she says you're not very sci fi, and then it's like actually it's the reverse. <laughs> that uh, it's a great moment. But but what I what I do like about his attempt to do it is he makes it clear. It's made clear in dialogue that the reason he's motivated to do this is because of the reason he's here. Which again, mystery vault plot point whatever. And like yep. and what she basically does is is remind him of how uh, how horrible this is and even though he's in danger and needs to not be be seen he agrees that no you're right i can't do this don't make me regret this uh get out now um and so you know again it's it's not like he wants to do it but still he tries to do it and she calls him on it um first scene though she turns the tables on him in the sense that um in a scene that made me really love that character, made me love Bill, is he makes that offhanded line, and I don't think he means it as harshly as he says it, but this is Peter Capaldi's doctor, where right. she talks about being at the university, and, and he says, what, to, to serve chips? And and she gives him this look, and she's like, okay, um, you done? And I'm out of here. Like, she's she's not going to put up with it, right? She's not going to take yep. abuse from him. And I love that. That That's the moment where I, I think, okay, this is good. This will work because um, you, you don't take that from him. And, and, and he's, he was being mean to her. Mm-hmm. And that moment in the vault where they're sort of bantering back and forth and that moment that it hits her that, you know, really hurts her and Nardole's trying to prompt her of, no, continue with the banter. It's the banter. You're going back and forth. And she's just like, no, it's not banter. It's not funny anymore. Like, mm-hmm. we're going to put a halt on this right away. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like I like her a lot. Um, yeah. They, they, they do. It's a, a very good job by Stephen Moffat to establish and by Promaki of um, establishing this character fairly quickly. I like the I like how much time the episode spends with with them and with her at the beginning too. like it's a 50 minute long episode. So it's about I mean, it's a little bit longer than normal. Um, but the plot, the actual plot, is scant enough, purposefully, I think, to let us take the time to understand, to, to you know, to rediscover the show with her and who, what, how's the doctor relating to her, um, and and that was, I really appreciated that. Sometimes those decisions lead to episodes that feel dull, but it didn't feel like that to me. It just felt really comfortable. Like you know, we're just getting started here. 
relax a, relax a minute and let's set the scene and let's get to know Bill. Yeah, it's very much a character piece focusing on Bill and who she is and what she values um, and sort of how she's going to react to the world. Uh, I thought the subplot uh, with Bill being in love uh, or having crushes on um, some of the women at the university and how she approaches those romantic relationships was uh, really kind of endearing to me um, because she's pretty awkward about it. She doesn't really know how to actually uh, flirt and show interest in a way that uh, is direct. She's sort of just like, I'm trying to flirt with this girl at the canteen by giving her extra chips, or I'm just going to sort of lurk around Heather for a little while until maybe I can get her to hang around me without trying to run away constantly. Like, that's the bar she has set for herself of just like, okay, if Heather cannot run away from me at the end of this conversation, I'm going to consider this a success. Yeah, and- the way when she tells that story about uh, putting extra chips on the plate of the of the the attractive woman in the in the line, I think it's really telling that what she says is finally one day she she made eye contact with me. That you know that that's that seems to be, and we see it with her um, and, and and Heather when she meets Heather um, that she it shows interest, but then it's like she's waiting. Like waiting right. for them to notice her, it, rather than rather than being more aggressive about it, she's sort of like, "I will go, I will go this far, and at this point, I'm going to wait for you." Yeah, well, it's very much uh, one of the things I thought was interesting about this episode was the theme of um, seeing and to be seen. So hmm. it's the <clears throat> um, Bill is somebody who wants to be seen and be understood. You know, she's she's waiting for the women that she has a crush on to see her and notice her. She's waiting for something exciting to happen to her to have someone see her uh, as someone who would, they'd want to take on an adventure. Um, and that sort of culminates in why Bill very nearly loses her life at the end because she's finally seen by Heather and sees the universe and sees the opportunities before her and very nearly falls for that trap. Um, and the doctor sort of recognizes the importance of that as well, of trying to make sure that Bill is seen. He notices the way she reacts to his lectures and decides to try to support that. Uh, and the little moment where he goes and he takes photos of her mom like going back in time to do that for her because he knows she doesn't have many to give her an opportunity to have to see her mother and have get some emotional benefit out of that i mean i was crying through that moment i was not expecting to cry in this episode i was like okay nope i'm done well, and that that scene is done so casually in a way, right? Where she me- right. she mentions it, and we accept it, and then she's there, and her foster mother basically says, "Oh, I found these pictures. They were in the box at the back of the closet. I'd never really noticed before." And you know, we know immediately that there's a there's a gentleman with a time machine who made this happen. And then yes, she sees him in the re- reflection taking pictures uh, of of her mom uh, back then, but. Uh, but yeah, it, it is this casually tossed off thing that is incredibly affecting, right? That that yes. he went, he, he uses his powers to get her more pictures of her mother. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. really a, a, a moving moment, especially because it sort of tricked you. Like you didn't think they, there wasn't like that big emotional buildup beforehand. It's sort of the casualness of it was kind of wounding. Yeah, well, and he and he's it's also him. Him not getting involved, like he wants, he he totally gets involved from his perspective and goes back in time and meets the mother and takes some pictures and collects the pictures and all of those things. But he doesn't want her to feel like he's involved at all, so he just hides hides it away. It's it's even more it's it's more subtle than the uh, lottery ticket through the post box at two in the morning, right? This is exactly he's just hiding that box away and and it gets it gets spotted. Um, but he's so unable to stop himself from interfering. You know, right. Time Lord Oaths be damned. He he needs to be involved in everything that's happening around him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so about about him not being involved in things. So when, when she walks into the office at the beginning and, and we and we discover in dialogue that, you know, people say you've been here for 50 years and he's very disappointed that um, 
that she doesn't compliment him on looking young. Um, but like yeah. the TARDIS is in the corner. It's kind of dusty. It's got a it's got a, a sign on it that says that it's not it, it's not in use anymore. Right, out of order. It says. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess. I mean, I. I take the implication here that he stopped for no other reason than he's guarding this vault thing, that that's what's going on here. Emotionally, I mean, I know that he went through uh, what happened with Clara and then uh, his last, you know, few years, his last time with River Song. And then, you know, we saw him for the the one Christmas special uh, with Dr. Mysterio, but that, that Mysterioso, but that's it. Um so did did you I mean it seems sad but at the same time I don't feel like uh you know other times we've seen him sort of vow never to travel again or never to have companions again and here it, it although it feels sad the way I after I thought about it for a while I realized you know he's probably this is all probably just because he's playing this game with this vault thing and not any other you know reason is that how you read it because it doesn't it doesn't seem explicit like why he's sort of like oh I don't do that anymore yeah, it feels like he's got um, a project. Mm. Uh, I, I, you know, there was definitely seemed like a, an element that he had sort of hung up his hat, that he was setting his normal travel and adventures aside um, and was going to be not doing that anymore. But it also seemed more because he was obsessed with something. You know, he's got this project, he's got this thing that he needs to unravel, to fix, to... uh, discover whatever that secret is that's hidden in that vault. And it feels like he mostly just put a pause on it. Right. You know, like we're going to, we're going to stick a pin in this and we'll come back to it later. Um, which is interesting because, you know, sort of the last thing that, uh, Clara said to him was go and be a doctor and go to have these adventures again, put on the coat again. And I liked that subtle shift that happened. Uh, he yeah. was not wearing his red velvet coat. And as soon as he goes into the TARDIS, he slips in, sign comes off, and he swaps into the coat. And it's just like, okay, the doctor is back. Mm-hmm. Let's go be the doctor. Let's go have an adventure. How, how did you like the... Um, a new companion means new introduction to the TARDIS. We've seen this a bunch of different ways. How, how did you like how they handle it where, you know, he and Nardole are talking about, like, this is taking longer than we thought, but that she, she has some very interesting uh, reactions as they go into the TARDIS and as she discovers that it's bigger on the inside. How did, how did you feel that that all got handled this time? You know, it felt weird to me. Like, I really liked the lecture at the beginning of the episode talking about time and relative dimension in space and seeing each moment as a photograph and how uh, he sort of concludes that whole lecture with time and relative dimension in space. It means life like right. this is this is life for him. And it seemed very poetic, like that mixture of poetry and physics. It was beautiful. And then you have this sort of kind of odd moment where Bill's confusion and the way she talks about it is entirely understandable. She's in a university with this eccentric professor. It sort of would make sense that he'd set up a shed around a secret door that would lead into a weird little room. And of course, she doesn't understand immediately what's happening, that it's a room that exists in a different dimension and can travel in time and space. Like... It feels, he's referencing his lecture, it feels like just the eccentric professor taking her into the weird back room of his office. Like, it kind of felt a little awkward. I'm not sure how I feel. I'm going to rewatch the episode uh, probably a few more times tonight. Uh, but it, it felt, I, I kind of felt bad for Bill watching this. I was just like, oh, this is not like the greatest TARDIS introduction moment. <laughs> I kind of feel bad that you put in this awkward situation. I like that she is applying logic to it, right? So she's like, all right, right so this is a... A, you know, it's a little bit like Rose saying they've got to be students in mm-hmm. Rose, right? Which is where, and his response is like, oh, that's good. Very clever. Not wrong, right? <laughs> but, right. but very clever. And that's what she's doing. It's like, you, you know, you knocked through and then put this on the other side of the wall. And so this is like the entryway. I actually, you know, the thing about it that I like the most is that they go in and close the door and the camera stays closed and they're both, especially she is facing outward. So she yes. has no, for a long time there, she has no knowledge of, uh, that she's in a larger space. She assumes that she's in the little box, which I feel like I will always want to see that. And I've never seen that before, which is this extended sort of like 
she's behaving like anybody would stepping into a small space, which is yep. she just stays pressed up against the door um, and, and makes the joke about like, uh, he says, nobody's getting through there again, a reference that goes back to Rose. And um, she says, what, because they're, they're wood, <laughs> which is yeah. great. But the it's camera, windows. but the camera does that thing. That oh, is, a, yes. it is a great shot, a great, a great choice by the director that, that the camera begins pulling back. And so initially, you know, it's more like showing that she's still standing at the door, but the further back you go, it's explicitly saying, Saying, there's a lot of depth to travel in here and she's not yet aware of it and that's a really nice shot um, and so I like I like all of that um, and that she it takes her a while to get it um, but she's applying logic the whole way right so she's you know we ch- we moved in time and he says well no we're in Australia and she's like oh okay um, and then when uh, right and then and, and she takes it in space oh then it can go in space and then it can go in time and she she learns it so I yeah I I um I, what I don't love is her, um, them commenting on how it's taking her time because that seems a little bit mean. But I do right. kind of like enjoy it from her perspective of she's working it out. Give her time. She's she's not going to leap to any conclusions. She's going to like try to figure this out and come up with reasonable uh, conjectures for what's going on. Um, and and she does that a couple times in this episode where she's the doctor is sort of taking delight, I think, in watching her try to understand what's going on and apply logic to it. And sometimes the logic is um, fails because it's a you know, it's a science fiction show and her logic is real world logic. But right. um, but she keeps doing that, which is trying to apply like reality to the situation. I kind of find that endearing. She's genre aware, but she's not that genre aware. Like she's not aware she, that she's in a science fiction show, right? She's yes. aware of the concepts, but she's not ready to take that leap, at least not at first. Right. It it takes a while to get her to that point of like fully committing to the fact of, yeah, you're in a sci-fi show now and <laughs> the, everything you think is not really going to happen is actually really going to happen right now. Uh uh, okay, so I had a, I had a note. I'm I'm looking at some other notes that I that we haven't talked about yet. One of them is, and this is something. So I just rewatched most of season eight uh, when uh-huh. I was on. A, I was traveling, and so I watched a lot of season eight on a plane, which I know is funny because you know we're entering ten, and I, I could have gone back and watched season nine, but I thought I would start at the beginning with Peter Capaldi, and and a running motif from episode one of Peter Capaldi's era has been that he is a guy who writes on blackboards. Like, that's mm-hmm. a thing. We see him thinking. We see him lecturing in the TARDIS. Everywhere from drawing with chalk on the walls and the floor at Madame Vastra's in deep breath, we have seen him do this, right? This is a doctor who writes equations on chalkboards and things like that. And so, in this episode, we get him literally giving a lecture in a college lecture hall and writing on a chalkboard. So, it's like the the ultimate... Uh, extent of his uh, interest in chalk lectures <laughs> is now he gets to lecture to a doctor. whole hall. We finally see the doctor in his natural environment, the place he was meant to be, uh, gets to write up on the chalkboard, have a captive audience, and everyone gets to see all of his scribbles and try to make meaning of them. The TARDIS, the TARDIS lectures. And I do wonder what everybody at the, at the university thinks of him. They must, he must be a, um, because the room is packed. The way, the way I read it, especially with Bill talking about it, is that he is legendary at this university for being a great lecturer but that you never know what you're going to get with him. And that sounds like exactly what the doctor would be, right? Is every, exactly. everyone is going to be great, but who knows what it's about. And, you know, and, and the way he describes it, I mean, the way he describes time in that lecture is really great, right? The, the, the city where every room is a different day of your life and this is the best place and this is where you live every worst day, every best day, every boring day. Um, and that's, that's, uh, and moving pictures are actually a series of stills and talking about time in that way. It's a, it's a, it's a good lecture topic too. But again, chalkboard holding a piece of chalk, that is Peter Capaldi. Uh, in a nutshell it's like the most intense ted talk that you could ever go to where he is every single lecturer and every single topic that you could ever encounter well and you said and and it is it is beautiful and poetic but you know 
physics is poetic because of the rhyming um as we learned (laughs) that uh he he says time and relative dimension in space it means life of course the callback at the very end when she asks why is he taking the tardis out and is going to uh, travel with her and he says you know she says what changed your mind he says time and relative dimension in space it means what the hell Right. So that's the ra- that's the wraparound. It means life. And then at the end, he says, it means what the hell? Like it, it is. This is the moment where the doctor says, I can't resist living. I can't. We have to travel together. And I, I really I really liked how it how it wrapped around. And there's lots of blackboards in the TARDIS. He can still write things on blackboards. It's fine. He still he still can be the professor. He can because that's their relationship, right? It's implied that it's been like a year, I guess, maybe that they that yep. he, they, he's been tutoring her. So it's not I, one of the things that Stephen Moffat has done, and the new series in general, but especially Stephen Moffat that I really like is have uh, is have expanded time frames that that um, stories can take place over. It's a time travel show for one, but you know it's okay if a story takes place over a lot of time. So in this case, he spends a lot of time with Bill uh, before they travel, and she gets to know him. So it's not like she's going away with this man that she just met, and and right. I like I like that that it's that he's more familiar than that. And I think that's going to be really interesting to to see how that affects their relationship as they're moving forward, because it's not the here's the stranger that you just met and you've had this one really intense experience. Like it's not Rose in her second story going, oh, my God, what have I done? I've jumped right. into a strange machine with a guy that I barely know, and I'm millions and millions of miles from home, but not really like it's, you know, it's a very jarring moment for her recognizing sort of what she has done and how far she has taken herself out of her comfort zone. Um, and Bill's known him for a year and felt comfortable with him. Uh, it'll be uh, interesting to see how they adjust to being uh, trapped to being companions and traveling mm. together. But I'm still really sad that she did not call him professor even I once, know. even once. I know he doesn't want to, we had Mavellans for goodness sake and we, we couldn't did. get that one call back. <laughs> Yeah, it's it is uh a, a, you know an ace like relationship but he he doesn't you know we know she the difference is that she asks what he wants to be called. And That's Ace doesn't true. care. Ace is just going to call him the professor, right? But he she asks and he's like you call me the doctor. That's what you call me. I'm like, all right, okay. Got it. Got it. We're going to call you the doctor. Um the uh what what else do I have here? Cuz I talked about blackboards. I guess we should talk about the plot of the of the <laughs> episode in the sense that there is a puddle that doesn't go away and uh and this woman that she met at the club but now she sees again uh who has this star shape in her eye um is staring down at the puddle and the reflection doesn't look quite right and and it, it's a creepy puddle and and this this fulfills the um Stephen Moffat takes something that you find in everyday life and tries to make it scary thing that he does all the time in Doctor Who, which is, well, now you'll be afraid to look in a puddle. But um, yep. in, in the get end... Get in your shower, get in the bath, the water will kill you. Yeah, so so in the end, the story is like, there's something weird going on and, and there's a match and the pilot is located, which is apparently um, a Heather, who is the girl... Um, and Heather kind of descends into the water and comes out and is kind of creepy and, and repeats things. She's dripping water and she keeps repeating things that, uh, that, uh, other people say. So it's very much a like midnight crossed with waters of Mars kind of feel. I definitely very thought much. of both of those episodes while, while I was watching it, um, and she, you know, they she chases her. It's a good excuse because the doctor's trying to figure out whether this whether this watery creature can chase them across time and space. So they go to Australia. She can chase them there. They go to the the future. She can chase them there. They go to the end of the universe. They go to a and and then he takes them to a Dalek Movellan war in order to try and like have enough like weaponry to maybe maybe kill them or something like that. It's just sort of like it's an excuse kind of for a, a quick travelogue. Um, right. But um, so what did you think of the of the puddle and Heather and how that all gets resolved in the end? Because it is intentionally a light story in order to make the episode mostly about Bill. Yeah, I uh, I think I liked it. I think I'd like to watch it again um, and sort out how I feel about it. It, it was sort of underwhelming. Um, I felt that it would have been... Uh, 
it, it could have been a little bit more challenging. Um, you know, sentient space engine oil uh, was a little bit of a stretch for me. I was like, oh, okay. But, you know, uh, I think that it was very interesting as a way to explore um, Heather and Bill's dynamic um, and talk about people who want to leave and how and why they do it. Um, because Heather just wants to be out, like right. does not want to be there. And she sort of gets consumed um, by this, this creature that is just constantly going to drive her. And Bill wants to also experience the universe but doesn't just want to get away from her situation like there are things that she wants to go towards um she's running towards adventure she's running towards excitement and she wants to see the universe and that's what nearly pulls her in and kills her is not just simply a desire to escape uh, but a desire to go towards something meaningful to her um that sort of reminded me of uh, Amy and the doctor's conversation in The Power of Three of, you know, are you just running to be running away from responsibility, from relationships, from having to be around people that are going to eventually fade away? And he's viewing it as a, I'm running towards things to experience them before mm. they vanish. Um, so it's a very interesting sort of playoff between the two of them. Um, but yeah, it did feel sort of like uh, an excuse for a travelogue. It felt like um, an excuse to shoehorn in the Movellans because why not? Yeah, although that sounds like the, it sounds like the originally it was just going to be something else, and 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 I think what I read is that is that somebody it might have even been Mark Gatiss said, oh, you should make those Movellans, and so they're like, <laughs> all right, you know, but it was just a generic kind of like Dal- Dalek uh, battle kind of thing. I don't know, I I yeah, it's I get the purpose it serves, and I, what I like about it is that it's kind of ambivalent about the whole thing. I like that that in the end, Heather is not a monster. She's kind of a victim, although I, I'm not even sure of that, right? I'm, I'm not sure the, the episode is clear on whether this is like Heather being a victim or whether Heather is just sort of like become this symbiote, basically, like the, the, the traveling, intelligent liquid is looking for a pilot and she wants to get away and so it kind of combines the two things and now they're together i don't you know i don't know whether i should feel horror like heather is completely gone because the doctor is kind of non-committal about that right right i mean it's it's definitely not clear yeah uh, i think there's a certain moment when heather's in the puddle and she looks horrified that i think she's a victim of something and like the doctor said it may not necessarily be evil um it just is seeking something out hungry and right that, yeah it's hungry <laughs> and it's not great for heather but it's not trying to destroy her um but she does seem to have some sort of a symbiotic relationship at the end at least yeah. enough control to know that she can respond to bill as an individual at the end and not simply parrot her own words back at her right it's it's yeah i mean it's interesting i i think it's left intentionally frustrating in some ways that it's it's meant to be kind of unresolved because they say you know first off it's like well you probably never see her again and then when they start to travel he's you know maybe you will maybe we'll run into her and it's possible um it's also like the parallel there that that Bill has also found her, a, a person who's going to take her around. But as you pointed out quite rightly, like Bill doesn't just want to run away. Bill wants to wants to travel, but there's more to it than that. Um, but still, yeah, I mean, it's okay. I think I think the I wish I, I had a little more clarity about Heather. Like, is Heather right? Is, is this a zombie of Heather, or is she kind of in there? Uh, I, I guess you're right. The implication at the end when she sort of stops repeating things is that heather is kind of in there but and maybe she wants wants it but um i don't know i mean i feel like part of me feels like the reason that it's all kind of vague is because it wouldn't be much of a monster for people to be scared about if it turns out that she's fine and so instead we'll just kind of leave it mysterious that you can be scared it can be creepy um it's you know it's not if the whole episode hung on our feelings about the monster plot it would it would be bad but that's not the point of the episode at all right i think i would have also liked to know a little bit more about heather like she was yeah 
kind of a uh, uh, two-dimensional character. Like, we knew her name. We knew she had this weird thing in her eye and that they had, you know, a mutual cross, crush on each other. But we don't know why it is that she hates where she is, why she wants to get away, why she spends all this time melancholy looking into a puddle. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that also kind of like not seriously bothers me, but just sort of like is niggling in the back of my head is, you know, we have a gay companion mm-hmm. and the, you know, certainly not all relationships in Doctor Who and well, um, and certainly uh, not everyone survives an episode of Doctor Who and plenty of, you know, relationships have ended via monster in Doctor yep. Who. But, you know, it does kind of I, I do kind of wonder of how much is this going to be something that continues throughout the show? Um, are we going to have more episodes that we see Bill having an interest in women around her is she going to have any sort of romantic plot going on because i don't want this to be sort of a a throwaway device used for this one episode to have these two in a relationship and then it's never brought up again i mean plenty of the companions have at least flirted with people that they've seen and i don't need her to have like a big romantic plot to meet my standard of this is an appropriate gay character or whatever i just i want to make sure it's something that's a real part of her character and we don't just forget it after this episode yeah um yeah my feelings about heather are are are, um are that like you said she's two-dimensional um she's dreamy i mean i would almost say right she's like oh she's mysterious and she's she she does a lot of intense looks and like, I totally get why from Bill's perspective, that would be super intriguing because she is, she's, she's interesting looking even aside the fact that she's also got this really interesting thing going on in her eye. Uh, and she's, she seems kind of troubled, but in a, uh, in like an exciting way at first and then you know and then not so much when she's disappearing and running off and things like that. And it's all kind of interesting. Um, but I wish, I wish, I think this episode can't decide what to do with her. I think that's the bottom line. And, and, and I don't know quite what the motivation is. It's like, we don't, we don't, she's never coming back again, but like, she could have been a victim. I think, I think you could argue that having her not be very clearly a victim is good because we have a gay character and the first thing we do is give her an almost girlfriend and then kill her off in the first episode. It's probably not what anybody wants to see. That's a, that's a, television cliche now right so instead it's left ambivalent or it's left it's left unclear and i feel ambivalent about it because i feel like the episode just kind of doesn't know what to do so it's like well something happens and she may be dead or not and she may have she seems also kind of scary from the beginning like she's gonna be a threat but then later you look back and you're like no that was just her being normal maybe and the star in her eye was not because i thought she was like possessed and all these things that then as the story goes along i think oh maybe she was just normal and getting sucked in by the puddle so again i feel like there are lots of different signals here and i could say that it's like a mistake but i think it's not a mistake i think it's just intentionally left all over the place so that you don't focus on it too much, which I just, you know, have been talking for two minutes, so I focused on it too much, and this is what just happened. (laughs) Yep, well, I think the other thing is, you know, Bill doesn't really imagine Heather that complexly. You know, it she's ascribing a lot of poetry to Heather that even Heather is a little uncomfortable with. You know, I'm Bill's probably not the first person to ever tell Heather that it looks like she has a star in her eye because of this thing that she has, and Heather's kind of like, don't romanticize it don't talk about it as if it's some you know really sweet poetic thing it's not something that i like or enjoy about myself i don't like that uh it's made to make me romantic uh and yet she's also kind of the melancholy like clarice mcclellan from fahrenheit 451 character of like she's gonna go and take these walks and uh have this type of melancholy feel about her as she's strolling around and looking serenely into puddles. So uh, it's sort of like a, a weird sort of contradictory character. She doesn't want to be this sort of romantic crush figure 
for Bill at first, but she also sort of does. She's going to play into it a little bit. Yeah, that that's why, yeah. And again, it's like... Uh, my initial viewing, you know, because I've only seen it the one time too, I will go back and watch it again too. But my initial viewing, I assumed that she was already, that the, the star was a mark, that she was something more than we thought, and that, that that would be revealed. And then as the story went along, I just had that moment of like, oh, wait, are, were we not supposed to think that? And, right. uh, you know, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's fine. I think... I think I'm with you. I, I'm I'm interested in seeing how they handle Bill's relationships going forward because you know the way um, the way this normally gets handled with a Doctor Who companion is that they will occasionally bump into somebody that there's something there, but nothing ever comes of it because they've got to go on the next week. And and I assume we'll see some more of that, um, but it'll be something to watch since this is our first official. Um, gay companion depending again depending on definitions and what's a companion and all of that and there's so many different things but it's uh i just want poor bill to get a date yeah i just need this poor girl to get a date wouldn't that be nice that that if well i think one of the things that's actually sweet in this episode is that there's that shot of her serving the her crush in the lunch line yeah Um, and there's like a and she gives her a wink and Mm -hmm. i feel like that is our life preserver to hold on to that not everything bill not every relationship bill has is doomed <laughs> yes <laughs> because that, otherwise it's just really depressing and and that's the fate of a lot of characters on on tv shows in general and doctor who in particular is like well no you can't have any relationships because the show's got to keep going on so that that at least is like oh see that's 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 cute that that anecdote we can we can debate the whole idea of what is kind of a fat joke which i don't really love yeah. But, no, but, I really didn't like that joke. But at least it's I feel like I feel like it was it, it seemed more troubling when she made it than then it got sweeter afterward as you saw like the, her, their interactions and her her attitude toward it which is like who doesn't like chips? You know, she Bill clearly still likes her, still likes chips it's it's okay mm-hmm. but the initial words out of her mouth you know the, that and that's a that's a, like an old joke or story that you know i like I, I love them so much i f- get, feed them an extra serving and and they just get bigger and bigger and bigger um mm-hmm. not the best yeah that was i t- talking to chip about it like that that's something that, that came up and and uh and glenn fleischman who's also been on this podcast that that it's like you know a little too close to to the fat joke there for comfort. Yeah, it definitely leaned a little bit too much in that direction. It's one of the things that uh, kind of bothers me about Stephen Moffat's humor is that it sometimes reaches to the too easy, too glib kind of thing. Uh, Yeah, and 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 it was funny, but not the right move, I think. No, no. And like, I think he did as much as he could to try to be like, but it's not a fat joke because she still well, thinks that this woman is attractive. You can, and you, exactly. You can see it, right? You can see all right. of the mitigation happen afterward about right, it. Right, but, but it's, it's like, sweet. But, but then at that point, you recognize you've done a joke that you shouldn't yeah, have made. Just yeah. like, let's go. Let's you, find another joke You here. put a lot of work into making that not that, that fat joke to be less offensive. You could have also just not made it, but that didn't happen yeah he Stephen Moffat I mean this is a subject for other podcasts but <laughs> I think what we've seen with him is that he is a person who is trying to be better and learn and like I think he said all the right things when he talked about like representation having another non-white companion and having her be gay is like this is not us being I think he said we don't deserve a pat on the back on the back this is a step there, sh- there need to be way more you know we've done a bad job like the it, not just Doctor Who, but like the television industry and as a whole has done a bad job, especially in Britain, I think is the perception. Um, so I think he's I think he's somebody who is learning and trying to be a better person and a better writer and understand this stuff. But you know what? He's not perfect and he still has instincts that get him into trouble. And but but I, I feel like his heart's in the right place, even if his head doesn't always get in the right place. 
Yep, I it definitely this episode felt like he was trying a lot harder, which is encouraging, but it also sometimes feels like, all right, let's have a few more people in the room uh, reading this script yep. and commenting yep. on it. And like, let's get a little bit more feedback here before we go. Yes, this is what we want to have up on the TV show. But also, every now and it's then, tried. every now and then a Stephen Moffat episode of Doctor Who feels like um, a little too much like an episode of Coupling. And don't get me wrong. I think Coupling is a, a, a hilarious hilarious show really well written but doctor who is not coupling and every now and then the coupling stephen moffat comes through and and in this episode there were a couple of moments and it and it was the the chips in the food line and and the the kind of meet cute at the nightclub with heather or at the bar with heather that i was like is this coupling? And again, I yeah. love coupling, but it's like it, it it felt like he was using his moves from another show in a place that was probably not the right place to make those moves. Like the whole like telling the anecdote about the chips and then and then saying that doesn't really have anything to do with anything. I thought it would get me somewhere. I mean, it's funny, but that's like that's like a coupling joke. That's a sitcom joke. So, yeah. you know, he's not a he, he's a very talented writer. He's not a perfect writer. He's working on it. Sometimes, you know, I, most of this episode, I think, works incredibly well. That's that's a kind of a clunker part of it. Oh, well. Yeah. There's definitely a few parts that oh, well. fall flat. A little pacing that yeah. needs to be picked up in some places. But uh, but look, the overall, bottom line, felt- yeah, what's this episode meant to do? It's meant to introduce, it's not meant to tantalize us with an amazing story of a, a, a young woman who's trapped in a puddle, right? It's not. Right. It's, it's about Bill and the doctor and their relationship starting. And it is that. And it does a great job with that, right? Well, so here's the question. So it's called the pilot. They're trying to essentially reboot the show. But I don't know that I would use this episode to introduce anybody uh, the big to question. Doctor Who for the first time. Would you? I think you could. I think mm-hmm. you could. I, I feel like first, you know, I feel like first episodes of Doctors are always a good way to do it. But um, I would introduce people to Peter Capaldi, I think, with this rather than Deep Breath, right? Because that's so much about what had come before with Madame Vastra and her gang with the phone call from Matt Smith. I feel like this starts from ground zero in a way because you're seeing it through the companion's eyes. Um, I don't know if I would pick it, but I would say that it's maybe the best episode in the last five years to do that if that makes sense i think maybe it's the best starter episode since the 11th hour um just because the 11th you know because everything else new doctor we had existing companion new companion when clara started it was kind of like this weird like different aspects of her in advance right this seems this seems like a cleaner start Obviously, we'll get a totally clean start next year. Uh, I'm assuming. I'm assuming that that'll be a clean slate. I, I, you know, it hasn't been announced if if if, uh, Pearl Mackey's staying or not. But I, I, I'm just kind of assuming that Chris Chibnall's going to want to start and have everything be a reset, just as Stephen Moffat did. So, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's okay. What, what, what about it makes you think that it's not okay? It carries a lot of baggage with it um, and not necessarily like holding over from previous plots and things like that. But like there are a lot of references that are just small enough that they could be overlooked, but are big enough that I think it would make a lot of new viewers pause and go, wait a minute, back up. What's (laughs) going on here? Like the photo of River Song and Susan is kind of nice in the periphery, but there's a big moment where they focus in on those photos and the doctor is talking to them. So I think a new viewer would go, these are clearly people people who are significant (laughs) to him. What's going on here? Um, And you have the moment at the very end where there's, to me at least, it seemed like a pretty clear reference to the fact that the doctors had his memories erased recently. And I think a new viewer is going to want to stop and go, wait a minute, what happened? Give me the backstory. Like 11th hour feels like clean break like you could throw someone in right there and it doesn't carry 
any baggage with it. You can go back and discover old stories and it helps enhance new stories. And as you get later in the season, there's stuff that clearly you would need to go back um, to a few more seasons previous, like River Song had already been in the show. Like there's references, but uh, you can watch the 11th hour for the first time and not stop and go, wait a minute, what do I need to backtrack to last season? Did I miss something? Yeah, I think you're right. I think I think they're subtle enough that you could argue that a new viewer would just kind of like give it a pass and move on. Except I would say yes, the lingering on the photos on the desk is a big open like well, who are those people? And and the funny thing is for for new series fans like Picture of Susan is just, you know, I'm interested in in how people feel about that because you really have to be a a fan to know who that is. It's not She's not described. It's just a picture of Susan, and we know it's Susan. But what does that mean to anybody else? So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it, it, it's not enough of a clean break to be a be a perfect starter episode. But when I think about it, it is the closest we've had, in my opinion, the closest we've had to a starter episode since the eleventh hour. Just because uh, Bill's story is like starting from zero. And yep. it's been a while since we've had a completely kind of unencumbered first episode. Yep, and it's as unencumbered as uh, yeah, completely possible. unencumbered from plot, like right, not necessarily right. from references, but from like plot start. The, this story, this story does not continue an overarching storyline. The 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 vault thing that's happening is just a it, it, it's a thing that happened in the past but it's set up for the future clearly so you don't have to know anything about like where all the players were before this episode but you're right there is still continuity reference sort of stuff that that makes it not perfect for that and i love continuity references as much as the next person i had several moments where i squeed out loud yeah. just seeing them but just the, just the it's stupid a little... stupid movellan wigs right that was yes. like a, that was oh just my like God, a i can't believe they recreated those funny exactly the same point and laugh kind of thing it was great yeah the um let's see anything more that uh, we haven't talked about that you wanted to mention I've covered all the things I wanted to. All right. I have I have like two things. I, I wanted to mention, I really like the scene where Bill shows that she knows, she's already checked all of the exits and knows that the TARDIS is too big to get it through a doorway or a window and that she assumes yes. that he must have assembled it out of a kit. And then he instead makes this whole like, yes, I took off the wall and the window and used a big crane and got it in here. Um and and uh, the crane thing is funny, but it's also such a great like uh, quick, very quickly like she's she's very observant. It's like she, this is companion material, Doctor. Pay attention to her. That's really right. great. I love that she gives him the rug, and then she notices that the rug is under the TARDIS, and she immediately points out the inconsistency again, showing how smart she is and how aware of her surroundings in a, a, a kind of a funny way, but also kind of sweet because she gave him the rug, and she says she tries run it down oh it was cheap and he puts it down in his office which is sweet Mm -hmm. that was very sweet and uh and the other the one other thing that i wanted to mention is there is a really nice moment with nardole where um she asks what the sky is made of and 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 uh they're smiling at each other like nardole and the doctor and he says it's made of lemon drops and nardole says you can be very silly sometimes i really love that scene because that scene is is showing that nardole and the doctor have been been around the block a bunch of times and like nardole totally gets the doctor and i kind of like that 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 um that uh you know it's new to bill but uh, nardole gives something for for the doctor to bounce off of in terms of being wise which is instead of like bouncing off of her right away which it was a sweet moment like you can be silly sometimes yeah, I'm not sure I'm totally sold on him yet, but he does have his moments. I yeah, just, I love Matt Lucas enough that I'll probably just be like, okay, fine, like I'll follow along with this character, uh, but I'm not totally sold. I, I don't know if I'm sold either. I'm not quite sure how they're going to use him. I, I, I'm I'm curious about how they use him, but in this episode, I'm sort of fascinated with how they used him because mm-hmm. he's got the background, um, and that was a funny aside. And then they've also got him sort of skulking into the vault and things like that. And so there's there's more there, but that was a that was a a nice a nice moment um oh and the clara music 
in that moment. Oh, where, yes. Where, where I, and I, I actually called it like literally when, when she said, you know, what, when, when she calls him on it and imagine if she says, imagine if this happened to you. And I was like, play the Clara music. And they played the Clara music. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you gotta play the Clara music there. And they did it. Oh man, that just ruined me. I was like, oh my God, we're going back. You gotta, you gotta do it. You gotta do yeah. it. Well, um, yeah, this was this was fun. It, it's so good to have Doctor Who back, right? Isn't that the it bottom is. line? And the, and the new companion, like, uh, b- bottom line is I'm excited about Bill. I think she's an interesting character. I was not, based on the little teaser thing that they shot, which they claimed was in this episode, and it's totally not. They, like, it's whatever they had. They tacked had. it in a little bit. They, they, yeah, they, they reshot in the same location, but it's basically not that thing. And I think that's good, because I thought that, that little promo scene was was not very good and it, this episode was very good and she was very good and it makes me excited for the season because I'm I want to see what Bill discovers with the doctor next and like that's the job of this episode right it's to get us all excited about the next 11 and it I think it did yep yep and I liked the little teaser I thought it was a great way uh, the to teaser. Yeah, I I thought it was a really great way to introduce what type of character Bill would be and what type of relationship she'd have with the Doctor. But as soon as I saw them start to go in that dialogue, I was like, "Eh, it's going to kind of break things up if we go all the way in it. So I liked the way that they sort of referenced the conversation and left the door open that you could assume that when the camera tracked away, they were continuing this conversation in the background. Right. Yeah, exactly. That was good. And and if you're going to use the Daleks, like having the creepy... Uh, like Dalek that's not a Dalek with the weird eye and all of that. That was a that was a nice, not a bad Dalek cameo if you're going to use them. Just yep, drop them in. That was there. a pretty way, good way to get them in. Yeah. Suffice it to say there are Daleks in the universe. That's all we need to know. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, onward to, to next week. Roll on season 10. Here we are. It's great to finally be here after so much waiting. Oh, so the world is a happy place again. Yeah, yeah. Well, Alyssa Frankie, thank you so much for being on. And I hope everybody who's listening to this, if they have not already, will immediately subscribe to This Week in Time Travel because you and Chip are talking about Doctor Who every week. And uh, whether there's new shows or not, but right now there will also be new shows. So people who want more Doctor Who in their lives... Uh, I, I hope they give this week in time travel a try because it's a lot of fun. It's a uh, I'm I'm it, I'm really happy that it's on the incomparable because not only do I love Doctor Who but it's a uh, it's a really good show. So I'm so glad that you guys are doing it. Thanks, Jason. And yep, we will have uh, our own review of the pilot coming pilot. very soon. Complete coverage. <laughs> Complete coverage of season ten, uh, wall to wall on the incomparable network. It's it's it, you can't be stopped. Just we we are it's Doctor Who season. We've got to uh, we've got to do it. Um, so next week I will be back with somebody. Maybe it will even be Chip. It to be determined. Um, for next week's episode, emoji robots in smile. So we'll be back for that, uh, and we'll see you all next week. Goodbye. Bye. 